Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. What would you think if someone told you there was a five-step model to take your law firm from unpredictable to wildly profitable? I'm going to guess there's plenty of you who'd maybe roll your eyes like, come on, Chris, five steps, you gotta be kidding me. Well, today's guest is so convinced in his proven model for law firm profit that he co-authored a book that tells you exactly how to do it. Lots of people have visions, and that's not really, for me, I'm a big believer in the statement that a mediocre plan perfectly executed beats a perfect plan with mediocre execution. Our guest today is John Nockazel, COO of the Mike Morse Law Firm. He's half of one of the legal world's most respected visionary integrator duos, and an absolute master at perfect planning and execution. Today, we discover how John transforms blue sky thinking into concrete results every time, why the successful firms of the future need to be big on data, and why John can't stop dreaming about owning a Ford F-150. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Dreyer, stay with us. As most of you know, John Nockazel is a huge name in the legal world. His partnership with Michael Morse makes headlines on the regular as they've headed up the largest and fastest growing plaintiff personal injury law firm in Michigan for several years. But John didn't set out to work in law, in fact, His business acumen was built while he was following another of his passions, fast cars. Right out of college, I had done an internship at Ford Motor Company. So I took a full-time job in vehicle distribution for one year with Ford Export and uh, had a plan to live overseas uh, most of my career. Then I eventually, after one year in distribution, I, I spent two and a half years in fleet sales Then I took a major change, a transfer, and switched to Lincoln Mercury division where I was a zone manager. So I had 15 dealers at a time where I was the manufacturer's rep, and I would travel out to the zone and live in the zone for the week. And I was their liaison for all matters, uh, including acquiring vehicles. It was big data before big data was a thing, and I loved the data. And that pointed the way it told me what was going on in my dealer's market and allowed me to consult them and explain to them, provide insight in what was happening. And I just had a real deep affection for that. And it was good at it. So then after that, I was supposed to move to Chicago with the Chicago region with Lincoln Mercury and opted instead to switch uh, my career and go to a company called RL Polk. I was there for 13 years, sat in various seats, sales and marketing, all of them, um, eventually leaving most of them, then switched to product strategy where I was asked to 
create the next generation of data products for the auto industry. And uh, we hadn't refreshed our products in a while. So I created that team from scratch and loved it. And Polk Insight was uh, my child and it's still their most profitable, highest revenue producing product. And I'm proud of the work I did on that. Uh, And that was super fun. Then I eventually worked in mergers and acquisitions, business development role for them before eventually ending up switching careers into the legal industry. So you kind of led me right into that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was going to ask, you know, before we we talk about how you met Michael and what were some of those key lessons that you were essentially building your COO toolkit from your previous jobs? Yeah, I I would. And it was all an accident. I was just uh, my own advocate early in my career, always pushing for new roles, trying to get on every committee and just trying to develop as versatile of a skill set as possible, not thinking that all it would all lead to being able to tie it together one day and being able to access each one of those skills. I was just trying to simply stay stimulated and advance my own skill set and pursued various interests. So one of the big learnings is at most businesses, it's people. So when I was at Lincoln Mercury, I had access to the dealer's financial statements and I'd go through that with them. And I found that the most common denominator between those dealers that had a really healthy bottom line, what was it that they all had in common? And what they had in common was when I went to their dealership every month, I saw the same people there was no turnover. They paid their people incredibly well and they made more money because of it. So they had a strong, stable workforce. They weren't constantly turning over people. So I've, uh, that shaped my interest in being, you know, championing the cause of overpay really great people, have excellent people, pay them above market average, treat them great, demand excellence, and they'll stay forever. And then I guess at Polk, it really was, I mean, my whole life, all the, the products, everything was about data, 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 data. So it was working with the auto industry and finding out what problems they needed to solve. And invariably, the data would light the way. It would, it would size the problem and bring clarity to what the real issue actually was. And once you have that clarity, being able to act boldly and decisively becomes really easy. It's not courageous. It's not wild, wild west making stuff up. It's just being thoughtful and deliberate and being able to be in control and be proactive of your situation versus just reacting to what life throws at you. I love that. And it's not, hey, it's not your opinion. It's look, this thing isn't working and it's highlighted. Yeah. So let, let's jump. We'll take it back to 2008. You start with Michael Morse and your firm. Yes. So how did you and Michael meet? You know, how, how did you make that jump to this new industry? There's a part of me, and I think there's many people out there that, you know, I was in the great ginormous Ford, and I was just, I was zone manager E when I left. I wasn't really a person. I was zone manager E. And then I went to Polk, where I knew most people, but there were still, you know, thousands of employees. and. I mattered, but I wasn't, it wasn't the same intimacy as it was at a smaller firm. And so I was just naturally drawn to wanting to have a deeper connection and a broader role and be able to act more nimbly 
to identify what action needed to be taken, make that recommendation to Michael, and then do it instead of putting in a committee and having somebody else sprinkle their thoughts on it and whatever else, all that garbage was just gone. And the auto industry at that time, it was just rough, Uh, you know, 2008, but it was just horrible. So it was, I, I didn't really want more of the same and to jump aboard Michael's rocket ship to have that chance was just that sounded great to be in a professional services organization that was growing that there every single problem I've ever dealt with here at the firm all originates from how do I cope with explosive growth. We talked about it at the other places I worked, but we never actually achieved it. So to have problems associated with growth, I mean, I just I could never complain about anything. I just I refuse to be stressed out or whine about, oh gosh, I have this problem because we're growing so fast. Yeah, I mean, those are those are good problems to have, the, the explosive growth. And mm-hmm. you and, and Michael have grown something just tremendous, Michigan's largest personal injury law firm. And so your firm is an EOS traction-based business. And for those who don't know what EOS and traction is, I mean, give us the, the overview of what it is. Sure. So there's a fantastic guy, Gino Wickman, and he is the founder of EOS. He's the author of a great book called Traction, and uh, he's my friend. Uh, he's We've been lucky enough to work with Gino directly for 13 years. So he was working with Michael and actually nudged Michael and taught Michael that he needed me. Uh, Not me specifically, because he didn't know me, but my role as integrator. So it it basically gives us an operating system. And that's what it stands for, the entrepreneurial operating system. It gives us one framework on which to hang everything to drive alignment and accountability. So it's a very simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it's simple and clear. And it forces you through the thought process of, okay, this is who we are. This is what we are. This is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. Here's our, where we want to be in 10 years. Here's where we need to be in three years in order to achieve that. Now, if we want to be on track for that three-year picture, what do we have to accomplish this year? okay, now that we know what we have to accomplish this year, what do we have to do these 90 days? And so we'll set rocks to keep us on track to accomplish those things that are the most important priorities. And then we'll follow it up with uh, weekly level 10 meetings where we're checking in to make sure that we're on track for our our rocks and uh, getting all of our weekly to-dos done. And it's a beautiful thing. If you just trust the process, it will make a lot of magic happen for you and it will give you direction. And, and I guess for me, especially what I would say, and I think maybe an interesting takeaway is that Gino's book is traction. It's not vision. And the whole point is lots of people have visions and that's not really for me, at least the challenge. And, and I'm very happy deferring to Michael collaborating with him, influencing him, but he sets the vision. So then once he sets the vision, it's all about executing it. And that's where the traction part comes in. And for me, I'm a big believer in the statement that a mediocre plan perfectly executed beats a perfect plan with mediocre execution. So I don't really get too worked up about what somebody's plan is. 
it's going to be good enough if you take all of the finite energy that a law firm has to offer and you can channel it and harness it and focus it with great clarity and alignment. It's unbelievable what you can get done. And that's the exciting part is the the actual doing, the actual execution of the vision to me is far more interesting than the, uh, hey, let's all get together and imagine what we could be when we grow up. Well, you're really embodying that integrator because that that nails down the role. And one of the things you mentioned there is I completely agree with the execution. So many individuals would probably look at your book and think, oh, you're giving away all of your trade secrets and proprietary you know, knowledge and tactics, but you still have to have the execution and that consistency. Right. We d- made a deliberate choice. It was like, well, what are we trying to do? And uh, so we just kind of began. And then it was like, I guess what we're trying to do is pay that knowledge forward. And and I would say this, that one of the things that we found is just like with Gino, Gino wrote the book Traction, but now he's got 380, 390 implementers worldwide because it's just more effective to have someone, um, an independent professional helping you and guiding you along the way. And that's what happened organically out of Fireproof. We we didn't plan to have a consulting company, but what ended up happening after the, the book launched in June was just a natural reaction of people were contacting us saying, I loved your book. Will you help me do it? And it was, oh, okay. Um, how do we say no to that? That's incredible, John. And and I just want to echo one of the things you said, because we ourselves are an EOS traction-based business. But one of the things that you mentioned, I really want to highlight, I think it's important, anyone that's pursuing this is we tried to self-implement for three years and maybe we we did a better job, right? We were running our business better. But when we went and hired James Ashcroft for our industry, he was perfect for us just having that that third party to kind of guide us and and really understands the process. So any law firm listening, and I'm not getting paid to say this, I genuinely believe that you need a guide. It's much better in this in this journey to implement EOS. I know it's it's a choice, but first of all, I really applaud what you're doing. It makes a difference. I've actually implemented EOS with six, seven companies outside of the law firm. And it's fun and I think helpful to be that outside voice and that facilitator. And I know that we tried a couple of times, we tried where we'd say, you know what, John's kind of got this, Gino, so we'll run our quarterly without you. And it was okay. It was all right. I mean, I had the skill sets. I knew the mechanics of what to do, but it was just better we found when we had Gino there to guide us and allow me to simply be a participant instead of managing the meeting and being an active participant. And I think it's good to have an outside voice that holds you accountable and points out, guys, this is fascinating, but this is the third meeting in a row that we've decided to kick this issue around. It's time to bring it to closure. And and we can't hear ourselves saying that when we're talking about it week after week and you, you get you need that perspective. I completely agree. And I kind of wanted to dive into your relationship with the visionary, with Mike uh, being the integrator. You know, one of the things I see is, you know, the visionaries like, like myself, we have our kind of our hair on fire and we want stuff completed yesterday. So when Mike, Michael has a big idea that he's really wanting to, to achieve, but 
you kind of have to push back. How do you handle those interactions when there needs to be a little bit of respectful pushback? Sure. So it's, and it's funny because uh, Michael only has those big earth changing ideas every hour or so. <laughs> so he knows that I'm a good, healthy dose of bad medicine for him. And you know, I have to tell him his baby is ugly once in a while, but that's okay. So, and interestingly, we were actually in Gino's book uh, a couple times, his book, Rocket Fuel, as a visionary integrator pair that were, were the polar opposites of each other. So I really respect the fact that Michael went out when he needed an integrator and he deliberately chose to get someone who was his polar opposite, who could actually complement his strengths, hide his weaknesses, do the things that he hated doing. Because I love doing the stuff that he hates and he hates doing the stuff that I love. So we attack each problem and each opportunity from a complete, through a completely different lens, but with a layer of mutual love, trust, and respect underneath, we're able to work through that. We have that high level of trust where we can speak candidly to each other. And, you know, sometimes to not be discouraging, I guess one of the things that I've often done is, is simply said, oh, yes, yes, all of these are great ideas. Now, which two or three are the best? Is this better than this other great idea that we just talked about? And so it's not saying no to his idea. It's saying yes, and doing fewer things better will get you to the promised land faster. And he believes that, and I believe that. And so we have to have that you know, conversation back and forth, but he's, he's great. And a fantastic visionary to work with. And all the visionaries drive all the integrators a little bit crazy and vice versa. But if all you get is a me too, a person who sees the world the same as you and says yes to everything, then you just wasted your time and uh, made your company not any better. Let's talk about the data component. So one sure. of the, I believe there's six components. I'm looking sure. over it. Yeah, six components of EOS, one of those. Sure. Yeah. It talks about, you know, having a scorecard in the book. You guys refer to it as your Jumbotron. So what is your Jumbotron? How does it work? How does it help you run the business? Sure. So the Jumbotron is data. It's KPIs. It's metrics. It's a dashboard. It's whatever you want to call it. We like the colorful analogy of you go to a sporting event and you see a Jumbotron and it's got a bunch of numbers on there. It's a football game. How do you know which players to put on the field, what play to call? If you don't know the score of the game, if you don't know the time left, who's got how many timeouts, what's the down and distance? You just have to have that data in order to make intelligent decisions. And, and we found that there's still so many law firms that are playing their game without a jumbotron and it's got to cause so much stress and it's just so much guesswork. So what EOS teaches is you have five to 15 numbers that give you clarity that you need to have access to that that gives you a highlight of, of how to approach your business. And, and we have gone crazy deep on that and turned it into really where I present about 400 unique slides a year we have our staple of 12 to 15 slides, PowerPoint slides that I present each week at our leadership level 10. But then I'll supplement it with, here's the new interesting thing. Somebody throws out a hypothesis of, I think this is happening or whatever it is. But, and I'll do an ad hoc data analysis on it to, 
determine the truth. Somebody suspects something and then we go figure out what it is. I'm, I'm very dexterous with large amounts of data and we have multiple people on our staff who are as well. So that gives us the ability to properly size the problem and understand the problem. And once you've done that, then it just becomes like shooting fish in a barrel to say, okay, well, lots of us are good at knowing what the solutions to the problem are, but too often we are treating the symptom, not really understanding the problem, not able to peel back the onion and see where the data leads you. And so I prefer to trust the data and trust the logic and identify the problem as soon as it emerges when it's small and you can you know, in the book, we talk about putting it's a it's a smoke detector. And if you detect the problem when it's small, you can put out the fire with a little cup of water. But if you're not even aware of it and you wait until the end of the month or the end of the quarter and you meet with your CPA and you talk about these small handful of numbers, well, you're going to have a three alarm blaze before you understand what's going on. And we believe you need a weekly cadence, a weekly insight of all the leading indicators that are are going to eventually lead to the results that you're you're hoping for and tracking, but you need to understand those things that are driving that progress along the way in real time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It really, really highlights the real issues instead of uh, opinions and guessing. And moving on kind of to the, to the next part of the U.S., people, specifically core values. Everyone core values you have, and it's just you have to discover them. And one of the struggles that I've had, and I think many individuals probably have when they're trying to figure out what their core values are, is that they'll choose something like team player and it's and it's table stakes. Well, like if you're not a team player and you work for me, you're probably going to be gone, right? Correct. Like, Correct. So what's the process you, you take to select these core values? And then how do you hold individuals accountable to those values? Sure. So it's it's usually about a, a two-hour process uh, where you go through, you analyze, you identify as a leadership team who are the your star performers. Who who is it that makes you so darn special and awesome? And who who represents the best of you? And then you start brainstorming what is it about these people? What traits do they have that we admire that they have in common that might reveal and allow you to discover here's here's what it is about them and about your firm that makes you special. And I love that you said they're discovered. They're not wished for. They're not invented. You can't just copy somebody else's. You have to you have to discover them for yourself. What it is that makes you unique because those are the things that shape your culture. Then once you've identified that list, and and they can't just be like you said table stakes. You can't honest. Okay, neat. Okay, if you're not honest, you can't have a business. So that's not that's not a differentiator. And you're trying for as few as possible. Three, ideally, if you have to go as high as seven, so be it. We have six. They haven't changed. They're the same six that were discovered before I ever arrived. And then how do you use them? You use it to shape your culture. You want to be very deliberate in preserving the culture that you have so that you can attract like-minded people and repel those that aren't a fit for your organization. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. You know, we're one of ours is dedicated to winning. Okay, so we we like competitive people. Uh, we attract that competitive people thrive here. If you're not a competitive person, doesn't mean that you're a bad person. 
It just means that you're probably not going to be happy with us and better for you to go find a place that you can thrive and fit in better. So the tool that I really like is the the people analyzer from EOS where you identify your core values and you rank people, each of your people against those. And you do a, a quick, simple exercise. And once you learn to trust it, it's amazing how fast you can really get a grip on understanding how your people are doing uh, instead of talking about an issue or a person meeting after meeting or for 20 minutes with no resolution. Instead, you can say, what are the core values? Core value number one, uh, plus if it's they exhibit that most of the time, plus minus if it's sometimes yes, sometimes no, and a minus if it's mostly they don't exhibit that core value. And then you simply set your bar. Anybody that gets a minus on a core value needs to go. Putting people through the people analyzer is one of the best ways to understand what it is about this person that has been troubling you all along. Which trait is it? And then you you confront them and you tell them, here's the trait that you're struggling with. You give them 30 days to try to address it. And if they can make meaningful change, great. But if they can't, then you just have to acknowledge it's just not a fit for the firm. You got to move on. And then the third one I wanted to cover is uh, process. So many personal injury law firms, many old school firms, they have these 50 to 200 page operations manuals. It just kind of set in the corner and collect dust. You know, what steps can a personal injury law firm take to improve their processes? One is you, you want to, it's exactly what you just said. So you think about that 100 plus page manual that was super expensive and time consuming to put together. And then it sits somewhere and it, it just collects dust and it's worthless. It's a waste of time. A better approach is to identify that handful of processes, maybe maybe six even, six to eight process, core processes, and then follow the 2080 rule to document them. Document the 20% of steps that it would take to have someone really understand the essence of what's being asked of them. So you want to end up with three to five, maybe six pages of how someone should execute a particular task. If it's more detailed than that, then it's overkill and it's never going to get used. And then what we've done is we have taken those processes that are core to what we do and how we develop cases and and handle cases. And we have embedded those into our case management software, which is uh, Case Pacer. And we have ticklers that automatically pop up every time something needs to be done. And so the process is embedded into the software. The training manual is there. The process manual is there if you need it as a reference. But really, if you just trust what's on your screen and you follow the instructions and do what the system is asking you to do, then you're forced to comply with the process. And it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely agree. And and so let's talk about when. So many of the individuals listening maybe maybe have a handful of employees. Like when is the right time to consider EOS if they're considering it? How large should they be? When should they start? Uh, what's that process look like? So Gina would tell you, you know, anywhere from 10 to 250 employees. I really think that all the principles though in traction and fireproof can can start with a solo, can start with three people. And one of our 
fireproof clients actually is a three-person firm and adding a fourth, but why wouldn't you at least begin with the right principles and the right practices and the, how long do you want to wait to experience that that serenity uh, that that comes with having things under control? How long do you want to wait to have clarity that the data can provide and and have clarity on what your mission is? Where are you going and what type of people do you want to go there with? So I really think there's, in reality, it's never too small. And so I, I just encourage anybody to get that outside help and uh, bring that outside expertise. Great points, John, great points. Shifting over to personal here. I believe you've been in around the Michigan area for most of your life. So what do you love about Michigan apart from work? What what keeps you there? I feel really blessed to be in Michigan. Um, And it was, you know, maybe more accidental than anything, but I've been here since high school and uh, after growing up in Kentucky and Indiana. But Michigan, my favorite thing in the world is water. You know, other than family, of course, and my a lot of my family is here. My wife's family is all here, but I like water. And then it's like, okay, well, do I like fresh water or do I like salt water? No, I like fresh water. All right, well, do I like you know small inland lakes or big water? I like big water. Well, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by the Great Lakes. What what a fantastic thing! And we bought a condo right on Lake Huron and. One of my favorite things is just to go up there and uh, enjoy the water and everything that it can it can bring. That's incredible. Yeah, we have the Lake of the Ozarks pretty close over oh. here, and I I really enjoy Lake of the Ozarks. It just it just calms me and it's fun. It makes me happy. It always has. And uh, I mean, just how how blessed am I that I if I could have picked anywhere in the world, if I looked spun the globe around and I said, okay, where's the biggest bodies of freshwater in the world? Well, they surround Michigan. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you spent a lot of time working alongside the, the motor industry and you saw yes. tons of vehicles. So what, what's your dream car? Well, right now my dream car is the Ford F-150. Uh, I've never had one. A couple of my brothers have one. My son has one. Maybe I'm just jealous of them. I love the Rouge factory tour and Love that my dad worked at the Rouge factory years ago, early in his career. I worked at Ford for six years. So I would love to, you know, I always try to be thankful they paid for my graduate school education, gave me my start to my career. So I try to be loyal to Ford when I can and employ people in my own community, try to help them out. So, and we have a a black lab, a leader dog, future leader dog puppy that we're training and, She's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and kind of crowding us out of our current vehicle. So it's time to just suck it up and get the big honking F-150 and get a boat to pull and all the things and have a limitless life. Living the dream there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so as we close up here, John, in our, our three for three, it's just uh, three questions in three minutes, just a quick hit around. So I think you're going to understand where this first one comes from, but what is your top search engine optimization tip? So I would say um, the GMB, really getting the Google My Business page optimized. And if you're not doing that, then you're missing out. 100% agree. And which entrepreneur do you admire the most? 
Boy, is it Henry Ford because he just killed it for execution. He did not invent the car. He invented the assembly line, or at least he applied it to the auto industry. And it was that obsessive detail. And just, I guess, having that beaten into my brains uh, from all angles in my career and my uh, taking my children on field trips and whatever, I've been exposed to a lot of it and, and admire him. Great, great. And what is the next thing on your bucket list? Well, I've been told that the next thing on my bucket list is to write book number two, but I never planned on book number one. Uh, We've had different ideas thrown at us, but I guess I want to keep, you know, and I've I've thought about teaching fireproof at the university level. That might be kind of fun is to, I was able to teach at a law school as a visiting guest once, and it was really fun and rewarding. So so maybe it'll be that. But right now I'm really enjoying continuing to run the law firm and continuing to grow Fireproof and helping others experience the same joy and profitability that we've been able to. Awesome. I loved hearing John's thoughts so much. His vision of core values, aligned employees, and scrutiny of data are a killer combination. Line those up with a laser sharp execution and a jumbotron and you're on to a winner. been listening to the rankings podcast i'm chris dreyer a huge thanks to john knockazel for joining us today and you can find more info as always in the show notes and we want to hear from you has john knockazel finally convinced you to throw out those operations manuals gathering dust on the shelf send us a review and let us know thanks for listening we'll see you next time